It's said that Hermes, messenger of the gods, instructed primitive peoples in the arts and sciences of culture, giving birth to humanity as we now know it. From the Hermetic perspective, everything is connected by core principles that are seamlessly woven into the holographic and fractal nature of reality. My job is to expose those Hermetic principles to modern people and to inspire an alchemical renaissance so we can collectively integrate them with terrestrial arts and sciences for a more beautiful and sustainable human experience. My name is Phoenix Aurelius. I'm the founder of Alchemiculture, which is a perennial philosophy that incorporates hermetic and alchemical principles into every aspect of human culture, the arts, the sciences, and our relationship with nature and natural resources. Join me as we actively weave hermeticism back into our social fabric. Hi there, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this Alchemiculture podcast. I'm your host, Phoenix Aurelius. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about spirits and entities and a lot of other things that plague the general population. In fact, if you have joined us for any of our other episodes with Jerry Marzinski and, and or Jenny Lynn, you've heard, us, uh, heard about us already discussing the patterns of the voices run in terms of schizophrenia and touching upon the fact that uh, these types of voices, impressions, um, et cetera, kind of tend to impact other portions of the population too, who are not diagnosed schizophrenic. And our guest today deals with exactly that. I am very, very pleased to bring on Sherry Sweeney, who has researched how the mind works in a quantum world and how this ties in with spiritual development and physical well-being. She studied ancient biblical texts, archaeology, organic gardening, natural healing, and non-physical realms. Sherry, I'd like to welcome you to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Phoenix, and thank you so much for inviting me. I've watched your shows, and I really like your work, so you're doing a great job in helping wake up a lot of people. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that, and I'm hoping that this will be yet another episode that can help bring some attention to largely taboo or under-discussed kind of topics today. Yeah. So, you know, um, as a young woman, you were actually plagued by what you would refer to as dark side entities. Maybe you could describe that to us just a little bit. What did that look like? And, and you know, what was that experience like for you? And what did that mean? Yeah, I call them dark side entities. Um, I've always called them entities. And they are from the dark side because uh, they, um, they, plague, they plague a person with intrusive thoughts. In other words, you'll be uh, minding your own business and all of a sudden a very dark thought will pop into your head and it comes from nowhere, you know, and so you don't know what that is. You know, it's not coming from you, or at least I hope you know it's not coming from you because if that's your personality to be dark, well, then maybe it is coming from you. But for most people, <laughs> for most people, they're not running around having dark thoughts. So these dark entities in my studies, in my understanding, um, they are, are the same or very similar to what the ancient texts refer to as the archons or the jinn or demons in the Christian faith. And in the, um, in the uh, Gnostic faith, they're called, they're referred to as the archons. And in the Muslim faith, they're referred to as the jinn. So these, and in the Native American uh, culture, they're referred to as the witiko. Now the witiko is described in Indian culture as a mind virus. And I think that's pretty appropriate really. Uh, it's because these, these entities are actually parasites. They, they, you can't see them and that doesn't mean they don't exist. They, my understanding is they, they live in a different frequency than what our eyes are able to see, but the visual spectrum is very wide. And you can, anybody can go look up, look up uh, visual spectrum and there'll be a diagram that shows the entire visual spectrum and it'll have a little sliver in the middle of what we can see. So what we see in our world is like 0.000001% of what exists. And so the other 99.99999% is invisible to our eyes. We have instruments to see a lot of them a lot of the, the, the spectrums now, you know, infrared and um, X-ray and, and those kind of spectrums are all light spectrums, but we can't see them. 
So that's where these, I think that's where these beings live. They could live in another dimension, I suppose, but I don't really know about that. Anyway, so, so these entities are parasites and they will invade your mind and they will, they can access your memory. So they will come in with uh, some kind of wild and crazy dark thought that doesn't belong to you. If you buy into it, you know, Jerry's referred to them as fishermen. You know, they'll try to hook you yeah. into something. And if you bite that hook, well, then they'll just reel you in. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you're on a, a road that you don't want to be on. So these, these entities are, they're masters at uh, twisting a person's perception. And so it's like the news media twists the perception of the dangers of the, uh, the virus that they say is going around when there's a 99% survival rate. So how dangerous is that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and we kind of got into <laughs> some of the negative patterns that the voices run and drew some very severe parallels to uh, the media and, and not even just the media, but just official narratives and, you know, common sense kind of approach to panic too you know when people panic they tend to get in a fear state that makes them more susceptible to this type of, of proliferation of of uh negative energy negative entities etc so you know you had you had talked earlier about you know saying that hopefully you know maybe if you're a dark person you said you have these types of negative impressions but if you're not then you would realize that they're not from you Maybe give us an example of some of the dark impressions that a person might have, uh, or even that you had in your own experience that you was very telltale and characteristic that, you know, these aren't originating with you. Well, I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you what it happened to me. And then, uh, and then sometime later, I got an email from a dear friend of mine who told me the same story happened to her, and I didn't tell her what happened to me. So I was driving down the road. Um, going somewhere and all of a sudden this thought came into my mind and it said I wonder what would happen if I drove over into the oncoming lane so I, <laughs> yeah. obviously that didn't come from me you know and so you know I was like wow you know that that was like too weird and obviously I'm not going to do that but maybe someone who is um, not very stable uh, maybe they might do that. I don't know. It's that's an outrageous one. But then I've heard stories of. In fact, this has happened to me too. I went traveling to the redwood forest in Northern California, and I got out and I was walking around, and there was a beautiful, beautiful um, area where uh, I stood at the edge of kind of a big ravine. It was kind of not a cliff, but it was pretty steep, and I was overlooking the whole forest, and it was just gorgeous. And then all of a sudden I heard, what would happen if I jumped? It's like, you know, seeds, I'm not going to do that. I know that doesn't come from me. I don't have those kind of thoughts in myself. But maybe someone who is totally distraught uh, and in a bad way, maybe they might take it seriously and do the deed. So they can, they can be very, very dangerous. Yeah, definitely. Especially if they're very persuasive or if a person, you know, under any sort of circumstance decides to listen to that type of voice. So were you constantly having the types of negative thoughts that were of a caliber that like, what if I did this just kind of posing it as an opportunity? Or did you also have, you know, self-defeating thoughts and, and, other thoughts that kind of told you that you wouldn't be able to succeed or, you know, weren't worthy or, you know, other types of things like that. I'm uh, kind of curious. Yeah, absolutely. When I was, uh, when I was a young woman and I was, um, I was going to college and I was studying civil engineering and I kept hearing this, you know, kept hearing like, um, you know, you can't do this. You're not smart enough to do this. You'll never succeed. Why don't you just give up and, you know, go back to doing something else that's easy? Well, I didn't want to do that. And I, I kind of thought that I was smart enough to pass that class, <laughs> pass the course. 
And so, uh, but it was a struggle because that message kept coming to me, you know, you're, you're wasting your time, you're not going to get this because anytime I would struggle, especially with uh, the math and, and so on like that and the drafting and so on like that. I was having a hard time with it, but then I had a full-time job and I was raising three children on my own. And so, you know, my, my time was pretty occupied and so, so yeah. was my mind. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I would, I would be studying. I always studied on the, on the weekend, Saturday was my day to study. And then Sunday was my, my, my children's day to do whatever they wanted to do. So that was the, the, uh, the deal that, that we struck between ourselves. And uh, so I would spend Saturday studying and I as I was studying or as I was trying to catch up on my drafting, I just, and I wasn't getting something and I'd have to go back to the books. You know, it's like, see, I told you, you're just not good enough. You're not smart enough. Just give up on this stuff. It's a stupid idea. And that would go on in my mind over and over and over again. And I didn't know how to get rid of it. So I just you know, tried to ignore it, but it, you can't ignore these things. They don't like it when you ignore them at all. They get louder, you know, they get more persistent. And so, uh, you know, because I, people say, well, you know, if that's, if that's the kind of thought, thought that you're having, just, just ignore it and go on. Well, that doesn't work. So this was way before I developed the That's a Lie program. And so when I finally graduated and you know got to work at, and working in in my capacity as um, in civil engineering and I, and I really wanted to find out what this was and I had so the first thing I did was I studied the brain I went to the library and I got a bunch of books on the brain studied how the brain works and learned about the neural pathways and you know stuff like that and so those were the mechanics, the, the material world of the, of the brain. I'd had no idea about the esoteric world and the, the energy around us. I didn't have any idea about that then. So as, as, as serendipity would have it, and I don't, I don't really think there's any accidents, I think universe is on our side. So I had this desire that I wanted to figure this out and do something to get rid of this menace. And uh, I hadn't put it into a, a being yet. I didn't know what, I had no idea what was going on with me. And, and I kind of thought, well, you know, maybe there's something wrong with my brain. <laughs> and uh, so that was why I was studying the brain. And then anyway, so I went to work one morning and my, my boss called me in and he said, how would you like to learn how to do computer programming? And I said, oh, sure, I'm up for it. I'm, I always like to learn something new. So he had, they had a new contract where they needed a computer programmer to write this program to, to do the work that was in the contract. So they sent me to school uh, to learn computer programming. And as I was learning that, I realized that, well, wait a minute, the, the brain works pretty similar to a computer program in that it right. can be programmed. So, um, so I had the idea, had the theory, well, what if I could reprogram my brain? And then I thought about it for a long time, trying to figure out, well, I don't know how I could possibly do that. There's a gazillion neural pathways and, you know, cells and nerves and you know I don't know how they work and so I don't know how I would do that right and uh and then I so I figured you know even if I did figure out how to do that it would be so complicated that I wouldn't be able to put it into practice when I was being attacked because when I'm being attacked it's kind of all-encompassing and so uh I did learn how to think of something else, you know, think of a baby or think of a flower or think of something good that happened in my life. And that would help, uh, you know, tone down those, those terrible thoughts. So finally, um, I realized I needed to have something short and quick. And in between all of that, I had learned that most of what I had been taught as a child was a lie you know, about myself. Yeah. And that that was quite a long process, but I'll keep it short. But anyway, the, sh <laughs> the short story is that, you know, I learned that 
most of what I had been told as a child about myself was a lie. So then I thought, okay, so if I, if what I'm hearing in my thoughts is not true, you know, because those thoughts were saying that I was uh, a terrible person, I had no brains, I had no, no right to uh, succeed, you know, I was worthless. And at even one point was saying, you know, why don't you just take the burden off of everybody and just kill yourself. <laughs> that was the end of my, my trying to, uh, or it was, the begin, it was really the beginning of my really wanting to get rid of this stuff because I, I knew that wasn't me. Right. So I, I thought, well, okay, so I'm just gonna say that's a lie every time I hear those thoughts. And the very first time I did that, the thoughts went away. I thought, okay, I'm on to something here. <laughs> you know, this is this is good. So I started using it every single time I had a negative thought about anything, about anything. Uh, even if it was my own negative thought, I just said, that's a lie. I just kept it up with that's a lie. Every single time I had a negative thought about anything, about myself, about anybody else, about, about the world, about anything. I just said, that's a lie. Well, finally, uh, the voices, or I'll call them voices or negative thoughts, they stopped bothering me for a long time, months. So I got used to them not bothering me and I was going about my life and starting to do well. And then all of a sudden one day, uh, they came back. And I, it took me a while to, to I went on, went on the emotional trip, you know, of, feeling bad and getting all emotional. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, that's what these, that's what this is. That's a lie. And then they went away again. So you have to be really, really diligent and aware of your own thoughts to make this work. Well, isn't that the truth? Now, I think that your experience is not singular. In fact, if I had a dollar for every negative thought that even has run through my own mind, I think that I would never have to work another day in my life. And these are things that traditionally plague people day in and day out. I think most of the cases of suicide, it aren't due to people necessarily having authentic experiences of themselves that they are actually negative or bad people or that they're worthless or whatever, but rather that there is a certain uh, sense of succumbing to these voices and these narratives that get them to buy into and to believe that. I think that the majority of people, probably every single listener who's listening out there today has identified at one point or another with very similar experiences of, you know, you're ugly or you're, you're just not enough. You're not loved. You're not lovable. You're not, you know, worth trying. You're not smart. you you know, why, why even continue things like that. And mm -hmm you know, just self-defeating voices. So in your experience, like you were saying earlier, um, you were saying that these voices basically, or, or these spirits, these entities, these impressions, however we want to refer to that, are labeled and talked about in various different cultures. So like, for instance, in the Gnostic texts, they're known as archons. Mm -hmm. In Islam and within the Arabic tradition, they're known as jinn. And within more Christian tradition, they're referred to as demons. And uh, what was the, the Native American term that you had for them? It's called Wetiko. Wetiko. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's something that I think is absolutely critical for people to understand is that by many different names, these same types of archetypal forces have been around for an exceptionally long time. Now, I, you know, this is just theory, of course, but how do you theorize that that they kind of interact with with human consciousness do you have any sort of you know idea of or musing as to how that might work or why uh, why they might be interacting with human consciousness well the i think the why is because um they they thrive off of negative energy they have they have to have ener uh, negative energy to survive and they don't have any power of their own. So they have to trick us into feeling negative, having a negative emotion or having a negative thought. They, they kind of go together. 
or, or being in pain or uh, you know, being uh, overly distraught, that puts out a negative energy from the individual and they're right there to suck it up. Now, if it's a really bad attack, once they get through feeding off of you, you'll feel drained. You'll feel tired. You kind of feel a lost um, energy. And I, I'm sure that anybody who has um, been in a room where there's a, somebody arguing, you can feel that in negative energy, right? You, you, I mean, oh, yeah. I, I can. I think everybody can. So, or somebody starts yelling at you, you automatically feel that negative energy coming right at you. You know, I mean, it's the whole, the whole ambiance of the room changes, the whole energy field changes and that, and then that's their food. So that I think is the primary relationship between these entities and human beings. But there's another bigger picture I'm finding since this whole, um, I don't know what to call it without getting you kicked off, but <laughs> debacle, <laughs> the whole debacle. That's a good word. That's a really good word. The whole debacle that started uh, almost two years ago. Yeah. Since that's happened, I've seen that there's a larger picture to these entities. I think that they have um, since they can invade any human being, I think that they are uh, actually uh, a, a big part of the the people that think that they're rulers of this planet. So, because when you watch them, they're coming out with such um, bizarre commands and expecting everybody to just blindly follow it, which is the, that's the MO of these entities. You know, they come up with something really bizarre, really um, uh, distasteful and, and they expect you to follow that rule or follow their, their orders. Let's talk a little bit more about these entities. And I know that it might be a little speculative, but why, why would you think that these types of entities, dark entities that would influence human behavior and, and feed off of negativity, why, why could you foresee that they would exist in the first place? What, what is their entire purpose of existence? Well, this is just my opinion, or this is just my, what sure. I think. I think that, um, that they are ruled by off-world beings. And I think that those off-world beings are connected to some of the biblical stories uh, in, um, and I'm gonna refer to the Christian biblical stories because that's the one I know the best. Uh, but it's it's in the ancient text too. It's in it's in other religious texts as well. That um, except for maybe the Jewish text, but in the early Jewish text, there's still some reference to this battle between good and evil. And in the stories, they say that it's God and the devil, and that's how the Christians see this. So I see it as a, a battle for good and evil, but um, I, what I'm seeing is from, from all that I've studied, I'm seeing that, okay, so we're in this, in this solar system, we're in this galaxy that goes through these cycles. And so we, um, we went through this 5,000 year cycle, 5,000 something year cycle, and we're, all of this is culminating now. So we're in for a huge uh, change. And this, the, the enlightenment or the uh, ascension or the evolution of our consciousness is getting closer and closer. We're turning into more evolved human beings. And I don't think that can be stopped no matter what anybody does on this planet to destroy us. I think that they're trying to destroy us before we reach that point because we're, notice that, okay, before this debacle started, before it was announced on the news, there was a, a kind of a big uh, awakening happening everywhere around the planet. You know, people were getting more spiritually involved 
they were they were um, getting more enlightened about energy healing and you know natural healing and the body connections with the spirit connections and so on like that there was a lot of that going on and all of a sudden here comes this debacle slap us right in the face uh make a lot of us like obey right without thinking that's the entities doing that i think so here we are in this process of evolving that can't be stopped and i think that the the, the entities are there i think they know they've lost um and i think that they're going to push as hard as they can now to prevent this from happening but i don't think we, it can be prevented i think that's what's going on well there certainly might be uh aspects of that going on i you know uh, just to share my own perspective on things i think that there always are you know to to drop on some of the same themes that you were talking about there are definitive cycles you know i can show that from an astronomical perspective um and then tie that also into astrology as well if we were to go down that road where there are definitive cycles of human consciousness that can be followed just based on the progression of and the procession of the equinox and the progress of of uh you know our our journey through the stars, so to speak. Yeah. And we can see that certain planetary themes continue to repeat. In fact, I, I might even go so far as to say that anything that happens is not really new. It's just a recycled theme happening at a different point in time. Right. Um, so with that being said, though, it seems like this, this whole debacle could actually be used very much so for uh, a, a very good purpose. You know, those that and I've seen this actually with many people, you, you, as divisive as it is at the present moment, one of the axioms of alchemy is actually to separate and recombine. And I see this as a very critical, important moment of separation, of being able to see people play out in multiple different narratives. Some narratives are going to say, you know, very strongly right now, you know, natural health, I, you know, I'm all about, you know, engaging in nature and letting nature take its course and all of these other things. Whereas uh, there's also the more, you know, human intervention and let's do as, as much as we can to try and approach the issue and so on and so forth. And I think that folks that might sit on the side of the fence that are on the natural side, you know, are holding this strong kind of persuasion towards the other side that's like well god they're stupid obviously you know mankind cannot create nearly as well as nature is able to create and they're going to end up messing themselves up and poisoning themselves which is if you take a look at it logically the his history of what's happened i mean 90 percent of medical history has actually harmed people more than it's ever healed people and so when you take a look at the trajectory of what is most likely to happen based on those series of variables it seems like that's what's going to happen. Whereas you have the other side of this equation, taking a look at those who are more natural and trying to be like, you guys are idiots. If only you would just, you know, follow the science, quote unquote, without even understanding what it means, I might add, but yeah. saying, saying things like this, you know, just follow the science, just believe in the authorities that are telling you what to do. You don't do this for a living. They do it for a living. You're not going to be able to find out with your, you know, 45 minutes of computer research whatever these people have done their entire lives and so they're just kind of abdicating to authority in a certain regard and look at these other people as being arrogant for pretending that they might be able to know or research more than say you know the fauci's of the world might and so on and so forth and so even though it's a highly divisive time it seems like a lot is going to be able to play out through this divisiveness. And I think what's going to happen is an ultimate balance where the naturalists end up finding out that there is a balance to human intervention and nature that needs to occur because, you know, nature just left to its course. Like if, if you get sick and you just try and let the, the disease run its course, you could find yourself in a very negative way <laughs> before too long because you may not 
ever be able to identify or even understand what the root causes of that were in the first place. And therefore it can take effect and, and, you know, could be a potentially negative outcome for you. Whereas people on the other side might find that too much human intervention also causes the same thing, being able to uh, engage in the proposed response to this disease could uh, definitely also cause negative outcomes the way that uh, such as, as autoimmune diseases and you know so many other things in a long-term perspective. So um, also possibly even mutations of RNA or DNA sequences. So I think that over the long term, this could be a great thing to help bring balance and, and to reunite us, but it definitely is a highly divisive time. Now, I guess I have a question for you. You know, we talk about the parallels between the media and how they influence people uh, largely through negativity. And then we also take a look at these entities feeding off of and influencing people through negativity. Do you think that the modern media is actually in some way um, run by or overrun by these entities? Or what does your own particular kind of philosophy look like in that, that regard? Yeah. Okay, my own philosophy on that is that there's there's people in the media who are bought and paid for they're you know they're 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 getting uh, a lot of money for obeying the rules and uh, and not not talking about the truth because you know they're worried about their job over the truth and then there's people who are compromised because they were caught or coerced into a, a very bad situation, which if it went public, they, their life would be ruined, their reputation would be ruined. So there's that combination in within the news media and within Congress and you know everybody else in, that's in the upper echelons. Well, not everybody, but most everybody. So they are um, they are afraid to speak the truth for one reason or another. So they're, they're not going to bother with it. They're going to be the, uh, you know, they're just going to read the monitors and say what they're supposed to say with as much, you know, realism as they can act out. They have to be good actors. But, you know, and some of them don't even know the truth. So they think they're saying the truth. They, they, they actually, some of them believe what they're saying, but I don't think all of them do. So they are being influenced by the, the entities for sure because they're afraid to step out of their, their cozy little cocoon where they're taken care of and they don't, you know, they, they don't have to worry about what's gonna happen tomorrow. They're safe. They don't, they think they're safe, but the, you know, they can be thrown under the bus any moment. They just don't know it. So that's what they're doing and they're being influenced by these entities who are, you know, uh, saying, thank you very much for lying to these people and scaring them half to death. Boy, we're gonna have a feast now, you know? So when the public gets scared, which I don't think they're being as scared now because they, I think most of the public knows the media is lying to them. And like you say, that's like beating a dead horse talking to your audience. So, but uh, yeah, so they, they're being ruled by you know, corporate uh, CEOs or, uh, you know, mafia run organizations or whatever, they're, they're being ruled by that. I think I read somewhere where all of the media are, they're just like, they're owned by four corporations, something like that. Yeah, yeah, the megacorps. Yeah, so we've got these, these major corporations that are kind of running the show. And you can bet that those CEOs are either the entities themselves embodied or they're being run by the entities. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what I think. That's what I see. Well, that doesn't sound too crazy. I mean, if you just look at it at face value, it does. But if you start to break it down and maybe peer a little bit deeper, I don't think that the dynamics are actually that far-fetched. Like, for instance... I know so many people, in fact, the majority of people I know who are actually very financially secure and um, not just secure, but abundantly financially secure, you know, we might even use that as 
extremely rich or extremely wealthy, they oftentimes have got to those positions by overcompensating for a lot of their inner traumas uh, and inner inadequacies. And that's not, that's not a general rule of thumb. This is just something that I've noticed in a lot of people that I've seen. They oftentimes have a tremendous amount of sense of, of inadequacy and money is a, one of those ways of being able to, um, you know, kind of falsely fill that void. So if that were the case also with some of these very rich, you know, high powerful CEOs where they can feel like they are actually doing something, you know, uh, that, that gives them some sort of self-worth, but constantly have these various insecurities, wouldn't you say that insecurities and uncertainty and fear and doubt are actually the seed that allow these entities to kind of grow within the mind of, of individuals who seem to be plagued by them? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, and you reminded me of something while you were talking. <clears throat> um, are, are you familiar with James Corbett and the Corbett Report? Yeah. Okay, well, he did a, a whole series on who is Bill Gates. I don't know if you saw that or not, but it was a brilliant series. He went back to the, to the beginning of, of his life as far as he could. And of course he was raised by a family that was very much into eugenics. Yeah. Because that group believes that there's just too many people on the planet. And with all these people on the planet, they can't, they can't build the planet that they want to build. So, you know, they have to get rid of a whole lot of people. And so that's the way that he, that's the mindset that he's had since he was a young child. So to him, that's a good thing. It's like um, Jacques Fresco, he's an architect. He's passed away now, but he once told a story of uh, how this works. And it, I think it's a brilliant story. It's very short. He was talking about how um, he was giving the example. Okay, so if, if, you, if you were looking at uh, a tribe of headhunters and, and that's their life, that's the way they live. And then if you were a, if you were a headhunter and you only had one head and your brother had two heads, you would feel like you were unworthy. You wouldn't have any concept that you did anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Because that's how you grew up. So, uh, and this carries on to, to all examples in life. The way that you grow up, what you get as your core belief, that's how, that's how you think, that's how you look at the world. Yeah. It's, you that's don't the have standard. any concept that there's anything wrong. So the Bill Gates story showed me that, okay, so that's how he grew up. He grew up in a family of eugenicists. And there was a time back in the past, I think it was around the 1920s and 30s when eugenics was not hidden. It was out in the open and it, it finally started getting a bad rap, I think around the 40s and, and 50s. And so they just kind of went underground and renamed it. So, but the, the whole idea of too many people on the planet there's a whole bunch of books written on it, you know, from, from by eugenicists and to try to convince the public to think that way too. And, uh, but when you look at the planet, of course, you see that the planet is vastly open areas, you know, <laughs> we don't have too many people on this planet. You know, they're not, when we, when we put a whole bunch of people into a city and they use up all the resources, well, that's different. That's, that's not, you know, that's not managing um, space very well. At least yeah. Not, yeah. So, you know, so, I, I think that that's a really good point, though, that you bring up, because, you know, core belief systems like that could definitely play an enormous part into, you know, it's like the, the concept that the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. Um, you know, because on paper, actually, if you said, you know what, based on what I can see, because, you know, I think it's very easy for people to take a look at things from that perspective of there's too many people, we're messing things up in too big a deal, uh, you know, too big of ways. And so if we just promoted people who were, and I think this, this is where, you know, the eugenic thing can be a very slippery slope, realistically, 
is, you know, if we only promoted people who were more, and insert your variable here, more conscious, more aware, you know, better genetics, all the things that have kind of existed throughout the entire history of eugenic uh, theory and, and uh, philosophy, um, you could see it from that perspective. And you could say, you know, if, if the world was like this, then it would be better. It's, it's actually not that much different than reading Karl Marx for the first time mm -hmm. and saying, you know what, I wish that everybody was more equal. Wouldn't that just be such a dandy thing? Yeah. But, you know, there's a huge difference between implications in an ideal world philosophically or seeing it on paper and then the actual implementation and, and, and the ramifications of what that actually means to human liberties or just to the right to exist in general. Mm -hmm. uh, and who gets to really decide because it's based on a set of, of very highly subjective values, isn't it? That's, that's the whole point. It's based on subjective values. And we as human beings, you ask the question, who, who decides who's worthy of living and who's not? That's not our job. You know, as human beings, that's not our job to decide who should live and who should die. There was a time in our history in the United States when the courts ruled that an imbecile woman should have um, her, she, she, in fact, she was forced to have a hysterectomy so that she wouldn't procreate her kind. Yeah, fair enough. And, you know, you could, it's easy to relate to that type of philosophy to say, well, you know, you wouldn't want that to continue to, to happen and then to be out there because it's an enormous social burden, right? Well, rather but, than look at the woman and find out what's going on with her. Precisely. That's where the accountability really comes in. I think yeah. that that's the thing. It's like you said, I don't think that there's too many people on the planet. Personally, I, I think that there's too many people living in the places where I want to live. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, but, and, then, and then you have to look at, okay, so who you're talking about, okay, so we're messing things up. Who's messing things up? The big corporations that have, want to centralize everything is messing things up. Look, if we had, if we had uh, smaller communities where each community had their own entire system and they were scattered all over the world, you know, and they were communicating yeah. with each other and it, there was no big centralized system uh, for anything, uh, electric, um, gas, uh, whatever, food, you know, medicine, anything. So you had your own autonomous uh, system within your community and it can be a large community. Sure. But let's say that something goes wrong with one of the systems in that community. Let's say the electrical goes down. Well, then you can borrow from the, the neighboring community until you get yours up and running again. The way it is now, if something goes wrong with our electrical system, the whole country's down. And then it's gonna take forever to get the parts because nothing will be working to do that. You see what I'm saying? So- um, Yeah, it's it, with a heavily centralized structure. Well, it's just like a central nervous system versus non-localized non or a localized nervous system, uh, like a salamander might have versus the way a mammal might have it. You know, you chop off the salamander's limb, it can regrow one because it doesn't have a central nervous system. Uh, whereas, you know, you chop off somebody else's limb, it's going to affect the main nervous system at the center point so much that it will end up you know, harming or completely killing the, the organism if certain steps aren't taken. And so yeah, centralization definitely, it, it, for every advantage that it has, if it gets out of balance, then that, that ultimately ends up becoming a disadvantage. And I think that, you know, realistically, after World War II, the United States had become so big and so sprawling and so centralized that that may have been the critical point where we can look back in history and say, you know what, there, there was a lot of balance lost there. Uh, communities lost a lot of power. States have lost a lot of power as a result of that, uh, so on and so forth. Um, so and I, think that that's, I think that that's probably where we got the mindset or where the, the rulers got the mindset of one size fits all. And one size never fits all. It never has fit, fit all and it never will fit all because we're all different. Yeah, that's you know, and I can I can apply that I can apply that to the inoculation that they're trying to sell to everybody too because one size does not fit all.
Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah, that goes without saying, you know, if, if that were true, then, you know, everybody would be able to eat exactly the same things and respond exactly the same way they'd be able, you know, one person would be able to eat an avocado and, you know, absorb all of this particular nutrition from it and any of the other trace minerals and the other person would be able to do exactly the same thing. And what we find is that there's such enormous diversity just in those inner workings uh, of, of the, you know, various systems of the body, digestive tract, hepatic system, you know, kidneys and, and ureters and, and uh, renal system and so on and so forth that we're not seeing that type of one-to-one relationship. So one size can obviously not fit all on that level. It stands to reason that it probably can't also fit that on, on more ideological uh, principles as well, or as uh, in terms of those other philosophies. So yeah, I think that that's really important. And I, you know, for many, many years, um, the philosophy of alchemical culture has really centered around decentralization and interdependence in a certain regard, mm-hmm. because, you know, the more decentralized you are, like every different location, like for instance, my location, we have a tremendous amount of peach trees that have been planted here for the last, you know, since about 1870. Uh, we have peach trees, we have cherry trees, there's a lot of fruit trees, you know, we also have you know, almonds aplenty. Uh, there are a lot of, of animals uh, here, especially up until about the last five years, there were always enormous herds of deer. Uh, you know, just in my yard right now, I've got wild turkeys. I have bucks living in the yard. Um, we have lots and lots and lots of surplus of natural resources in that way. Whereas many other communities of further south that we go, say in Salt Lake City, they don't have quite those things unless they're right up against the the base of the mountains. They have entirely different with the way that the city has been built and infrastructures exist. There there are entirely different uh, sets of resources there. And so by developing communities that are set around a certain geolocation and the resources of that location, um, it could very well lead to very good trades and uh, very good systems. Of course, then, you know, we have the warring aspect of the human consciousness that needs to be taken into account and so many other uh, different variables and factors. So community-based living uh, or smaller municipality-based resource-based economies and things like that could definitely provide a very meaningful uh, way for us to move forward with human existence all across the planet. And it would definitely be much more sustainable, but that still doesn't take care of some of those same root qualities that end up drawing in these entities in the first place, does it? Because we would still have people who still have inadequacies. We'd still have people who are addicted to drugs. We would still have people who are all these other things. It just kind of, you know, changes the way that the structure works, but it doesn't really ever address the root cause of humanity's problems and how we get impacted. And I think that that's something that, you know, before creating any other system, we really need to look at and focus on these, these real root problems, these core problems of humanity uh, and get those under wraps because then just about any system that we create or implement will be more or less successful. Yeah, I agree with that. And the, to, in my way of thinking, the root problem is these entities and that we don't know that they're there. And so if we become aware that they're there and they're influencing us and we can stop back, step back and take a look at our thoughts just for a moment, if a person could just do that, then and become aware that, that these entities are influencing them or trying to, And then they can just say, well, that's not true. Or they can ask the question, is that true? Do I really feel that way? Is that feeling coming from me or is it coming from other? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's probably the most important question right there. That last one is, is this coming from me or is this coming from outside of me? Mm -hmm. Because remember that all of the programming that we got as children growing up was a program that was given to us by others. Yeah. So we have no idea what we're thinking uh, until we start stepping back to to realize, okay, what am I thinking? (laughs) Is this coming from me or not? Yeah, if we could do that, even if if a, a whole bunch of people could start doing that, that would make a huge difference in our world. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that that's, that's actually a huge thing. And again, you know, um, it might just be a, a technicality of language or, or, you know, semantics really, but I think that the problem is not so much these entities because you know, just like any entities, if they don't have food, they'll starve. Mm -hmm. And you can't blame somebody who has moved onto a plot of land for trying to cultivate it so that it has more food. That's just the natural survival instinct of any entity or creature. Sure. But rather, the problem exists with the lack of accountability within humankind, from my perspective, you know, lack of accountability of your own thoughts, of your own awareness, of, you know, your own mental and emotional sovereignty, lack of accountability in these types of regards. And I think that the most important thing that humans can be doing is actually asking, does this originate from me? And it's like a flow chart. If the answer is yes, well, great. Now you get to choose what to do with that. If it was a negative thought and it originated from you, why do you feel that negative thought? And then you just continue down that flow chart until you decide, you know, whether you want to change that or not, but at least it's in your power because it originated with you. If the answer is no, then you can say, well, where did that originate from? <laughs> because that is such a critical question. If it originates from somewhere outside of you or from some dark entity or something, now the human has to take the accountability to be able to eliminate that force from his or her life in such a way that it's no longer uh, a problem. And I think that that's where you're, the beauty of your program, the That's a Lie program, <laughs> is so effective because it's able to dispel all of those negative voices, especially that come from the side of the flowchart that says, no, it didn't originate from me. It's able to dispel them because it creates infertile ground. They're not able to, to make or produce or keep you know, producing food or fodder for their uh, negative food source. And therefore you become more or less you know, not susceptible to their kind of nonsense. Yeah, and it actually, they, they kind of act a bit robotic. In other words, what they, they, continue, they do the same thing over and over again. They, they have a repetitive program within them. Uh, once they get into your memory, they know what makes you tick, so they can play on that. And once they find something that works with you, they'll stick with that one over and over and over again. So if you pay attention to what they're saying or what you're thinking, what they're thinking, what they're inserting into your thoughts, then you can see that they repeat themselves over and over and over again. They, they just have this routine that they do. And so to me, I got to the point of where, you know, I didn't have any fear of them anymore. And I even saw them, you know, they were kind of ridiculous to me. So I would laugh. And when I laughed, that just, took away all negative energy from me and they just left. Yeah, it dispels their energy almost entirely. The other thing that I found that works really, really effectively is to send them love energy. That doesn't mean you love them like you love your, your spouse or your children or your best friend or your pets or anything like that. It's not that kind of love. It's the cosmic energy of love because that's, that's what we're surrounded with all the time. We just don't know it. Uh, not everybody knows it. So you can send them that love and they will run away. That apparently that really, that hurts them or it uh, scares them or I don't know what it does to them, but it makes them run away. Well, I, you know, I think it's the complete antithesis to what they're trying to cultivate. If they're trying yeah. to cultivate negativity and you're sending them love, it's like the exact opposite cultivar conditions you know and just to draw a parallel it's like you know when you were saying that they're being repetitive for for me this looks like them planting exactly the same seeds over and over and over it's just like planting an annual garden each year you know planting mm -hmm. your tomatoes and your peppers and your melons and you know whatever else you're going to be planting that's a, that's a great analogy <laughs> and you know the second that you create infertile ground for all of that negative you know fruit to be harvested 
hell they they have no choice but to move on the land becomes barren and they don't know how to to make it fertile again they they can try as much as they want you know it's like when you ignore them then they you know metaphorically apply some more fertilizer or whatever but when you actually you know it's like nah the whole energy of the land here has changed we we don't grow that we grow love we grow certainty we grow confidence we grow graciousness we grow you know all of these other things these benefic qualities of humankind Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're able to to make that a fertile condition for them. Yeah, so the, the, what I do is, you know, I mean, they still enter my mind from time to time, not very often anymore, but I catch it right away. I know what's going on. So I just say, okay, I recognize you, I send you love, and they're gone. Yeah, yeah, easy, easy peasy, actually, once you're aware of it. Mm -hmm. I think the, the key is for people to be aware of it, and to be able to grasp through some means that there are entities that are out there. Um, well, I've, I've had people argue with me of, well, but my voices are very, very strong. They just won't go away. <laughs> That's because you're keeping them around. That's because you're listening to them. You, yeah. have to, you have to pay attention to your own thoughts and you have to call them out as liars. Well, and you so, have to take accountability for your own thoughts too. Um, you know, like you, you definitely have a choice whether you're going to be negative or not. But the second that you start having negative thoughts yourself, now you're creating another great sense of fertile ground for these entities. And if you work in a workspace that is negative, and if you, you know, shop in places like Walmart, where it's like overwhelming negativity within like a 600 mile radius, basically, it seems like of those places, then of course, you're going to end up having some, some sense of negativity, because it's constantly, you know, beating you, and, and constantly apparent to you, it takes a certain way of changing your thoughts, changing your behaviors, changing your attitudes to eliminate as much negativity in your life so that you are not conducive ground for them. I think that that's a, a really key component that a lot of people, you know, miss out on telling, telling it that that's a lie is great because it, it ends up getting rid of, of that entity constantly trying to plant that one particular seed. But if you are constantly perpetuated with negativity in your day-to-day -day experience, who do you think is going to be hanging around at some point some entities some beings are going to feed off of your suffering and misery yeah and that's you know that's a that's a it's not really a different topic but it's kind of an offshoot of the same topic in that what you think what you believe is what you create yeah and and that's been proven over and over again whatever we actually believe in our core belief that's what we will create. So I just wrote an article about that on my blog the other day. And um, I don't write too many articles. I don't write articles very often, but anyway, maybe every month or so. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I wrote an article about that, that what we, what we believe in our hearts, we will create. We won't, may not be instantaneously, but eventually it will happen. So if we are in a work environment that's very negative and we're not, you know, we're not, we walk in in the morning and we're feeling positive and then you're surrounded by negativity all day long and you're like, oh God, I can't wait to get home and get out of this soup of, you know, negative forces. Well, it would take, a, it would take a while, but if you're feeling positive regardless of what's going on around you and it takes mm -hmm. a, it takes a lot of practice to do that it's true you know it takes a lot of practice to do that but if you do that then your positive negative your positive energy is is extending out from your body you know several feet from your body maybe you know it could even be filling the whole building the whole office building and then the further away it is that the, the weaker it is, but as you get, as people get closer, they will begin to change their, 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 their actions, their thoughts. And um, I've seen this happen where I've worked. Um, I, most of the time where I was working, it was a very positive environment. Everybody was, you know, uh, working for the same uh, project. Everybody had the same goal. Everybody was nice to each other. Everybody was very, very cooperative. 
somebody would have a bad day or every once in a while and we would recognize it and say, you know, is there something I can do to help you out? Rather than say, rather than just, you know, say, oh, you know, that person is a bad person and look at the negativity coming out of that person. That, that didn't happen. So if you're, if you can, if you can do it, and it takes an awful lot of practice to walk into a negative room and continue to let your positivity shine. I know that that's hard to do. It's very hard to do, but it's doable. And it will actually change the whole environment. Well, it's just like going into the gym. You can't expect to sit down and, you know, squat 700 pounds your very first time. You you have to work the muscles up and attenuate them to the the stress so that eventually they're able to hold that much resistance and and be able to perform at that type of level. It takes practice to be able to do it. But, um, you know, if people never start, then they never get anywhere. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, you know. Yeah. So what will happen if a person tries to do that? If a person decides, okay, I'm going to do this. Oh yeah. They'll break. So so their first day there, first day, they're all positive and they're feeling positive and the entities will just, you know, hammer you down to, you know, nothing. And you'll go home feeling, well, I didn't do a good job on that. I, I guess I can't do that. Well, that's just one day. You have to keep doing it over and over and over again. It's like, if you want to learn how to play the piano, you can't just sit down and play the piano. You have to practice. Yep. If you want to get good at it, if you want to get good at it, you have to practice it. You yeah. have to, anytime you want to do something well, you have to practice it over and over again. It's the yeah. same thing with this. Anytime you, if you want to get rid of these entities, you have to practice getting rid of these entities. Yep. Yeah, exactly. The effort goes into it, but you get out of something what you put into something. The more effort that you put into it, the more free that you can become. And, and that's, you know, I'm speaking there from personal experience in terms of having uh, changed entirely different ways of, of looking at myself, looking at my own circumstances, looking at my uh, life circumstances, and, and just being able to make very positive changes over and over and over and over again, and getting rid of those, you know, self-defeating thoughts, the, the, underlying sense of doubt or uncertainty about doing things you know all of those things are really important human conditions that i think we are all pre-programmed with by default Mm -hmm. that can all be overcome but just like you know you you don't walk into you know like you were saying with the piano you don't walk in to an instrument store and pick up a guitar sit at the piano or a set of drums for the very first time and just play like, you know, an absolute amazing composer or, you know, musician, you sit down at the drums, you're not John Bono your very first time, you really have to work at developing, learning all these other techniques, you know, even just learning to keep basic beats and you build one day at a time. And really you learn from your failures just as much as you do from your successes. Mm -hmm. Your successes might build you up, but your failures tell you where you still have room for improvements. So, well, and, and when you're thinking about yourself and you're having doubts or insecurities about yourself, one thing to remember or try to remember at the moment is when I came into this world, I was made with love. I was made by love and I am love. And I got changed because I got a program put into me that said something different <laughs> and I yeah. bought it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I subscribed to that, <laughs> that program. <laughs> So, yeah, so that program is in error. It's that program is incorrect. And so we have the ability to change that program, but it takes practice to do that because that program has been with us all of our lives. It's been running 95% of the time. <clears throat> you know, we're actually running around unconscious 95% of the time. So if we, and so we get this 5% of, of conscious living and that's that's great, but then the 95% kicks in and we're on automatic again. So we have to work at it to, we have to recognize that first of all, that, you know, okay, so I wanna live consciously. I wanna do everything I do consciously. That sounds great, but it takes a lot of work to do that. Yeah, it really does. Well, we're, we're coming up upon the end of our conversation here where we're almost at uh, time out. I want oh, you yeah. to tell a little bit uh, more about the That's a Lie program and the types of people that you work with and that you like to work with 
and um, just tell people where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on uh, keyholejourney.com through the contact page. Uh, feel free to write me a note and, um, and I'll get back to you. And uh, the That's a Lie program is posted. Um, there's a link to that on, on my website and there's also a link to that on Jerry's website. Uh, I think Jerry is jerrymarzinski.com, by the way, if anybody wants to go there. Uh, so there's there's a link to that the That's a Lie program on both of those websites. If you'd read that through to see how it works, I tell a little story in the beginning, uh, you know, to kind of kind of set the stage. But basically, the That's a Lie program is what we were talking about tonight. Whenever you have a negative thought about yourself or anybody else, you can know that that's coming from these dark side entities. It's not coming from you. Even if you think it's coming from you, it's not coming from you because you are love. You came here as love. And so that's your core. Then your core got changed through the programming that was given to you by others. So if you know that, then you know for sure that what you're thinking as negative is not true. So you can call it a lie. That's the basic of the program. You have to do it uh, every single time you have a negative thought about yourself, especially. You know, like, I, I can't do this. I'm no good. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too tall. I'm too thin. I'm too, too whatever. I'm, I'm not good enough. That's a lie. That's not who you were when you came here. <laughs> so if you can keep that in mind, then uh, and then just do that every single time you have that that thought coming into your mind and you know that's not your thought uh over time you won't have those thoughts anymore i think that that's absolutely brilliant that's a very approachable starting place for everybody there's not a single person that that doesn't apply to so sherry uh, again i just want to thank you so much for your time for all of your perspectives today it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you no oh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you phoenix i i really enjoyed talking to you Awesome. Yeah, likewise, me too. So again, everybody, thank you so much for listening as well. You can uh, find all of the links to the uh, That's a Lie program, also to Sherry's site at keyholejourney.com down below. Uh, if you like this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, hit that bell notification if you're watching or listening here on YouTube. Um, also share this with your friends. And of course, if you want to continue to support me promoting more authors like this uh, and, and more content like this and getting new narratives and, and less mainstream nonsense out into the world, then uh, basically the best way to do that is by uh, subscribing to our Spagyrics of the Month Club, where every single month for $75 flat rate, we ship you five new Spagyrics every single month. That helps to ensure that we just have consistent uh, income coming in where we're doing what we already do anyway, and gives me time and availability to find new people and create new discussions and to record and edit all of the different types of, of things that uh, a podcast requires us to do. So again, if you like the, uh, what we're doing here, you know, share it with other people, get the message out. But if you directly want to support us, the Spagyrics of the Month Club is possibly the best way. If uh, $75 is a little bit too much, consider maybe purchasing one of our other items in the Spagyric Apothecary and help out your own wellness, particularly uh, Spagyrizyme Probiotic Enzyme comes to mind, which is something that everybody could use to help tonify and really spiff up their own microbiome. So again, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. This is the Alchemiculture Podcast. I'm your host, Phoenix Aurelius, and this episode was with Sherry. Sherry, thank you again. Thank you. All right. Have a great one, everyone.